Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Speebly. Speebly lets you interact with a website with your voice. It's a little widget, you put it in the bottom of your website and people can interact with it with their voice and it will even navigate you through the website based on the conversation. So if you ask it, you know, show me something about I don't know what's your company all about. It might take it to your about page. It might say, for so for Video X World, play me a podcast on dialogue design, and it can bring up a page with a podcast on it about dialogue design. It's fantastic. Also, if you've got a, a Google Action or even an Alexa skill, if you're using Dialogue Flow, then all you do is point Dialogue Flow to to Speedly, and you can actually interact with your uh, Action or Alexa skill through Speedly as long as you've got Dialogflow set up. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, And if you're building voice apps for clients and you refer one of your clients to Speebly, then get your action set up on Speebly or any voice interaction set up on Speebly for your client. Speebly will pay you a percentage of the monthly revenue. So on the one hand, your client gets the skill or the action that you've built for them available on their website, or they get a voice interface as part of their website. The users of the website get access to the skill or the action, plus they get to have an experience on the website that they, that they can't find anywhere else, interacting with the website via their voice, and you get paid. Everyone's a winner. Check out speebly.com slash V-U-X to sign up. That's speebly, S-P-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash V-U-X. Go check it out. Today's guest is James Vlahos. He is a journalist. He writes for Wired magazine. He also writes for the New York Times. If you've come across any uh, any articles on uh, conversational computing on New York Times or on Wired, then you've probably come across James's work. Uh, his book, Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work and Think, comes out today. Literally today. It hits shelves right this morning. Um... And we're speaking to James today all about voice and all about his uh, views on the voice world. We talk a little bit about the platform wars between Microsoft and Apple and Amazon and Google and who's positioning to, to kind of take advantage of voice. We talk a lot about the history of voice computing, the history of machine learning and things like that. We talk a little bit about personality design. We talk a little bit about gender. We talk about living forever through a voice assistant. It's one of those episodes where we're taking a bit of a step back. We're getting a brand new new perspective we're looking at all of these challenges that exist and all of the observations that james has on on conversational computing and it's a really really refreshing episode you will be inspired ladies and gentlemen without further ado this is james vlahos on vux world vux Great, so we have a good show. Kane, how are you doing today? Um, very, very well, Dustin, thank you. Super, super excited. Super excited, how are you? Good, good. We have uh, we have a great guest today, uh, an author of a book. He'll tell us all about all about voice. Uh, James Vlahos, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, 
Yeah, James. So maybe tell us a little bit about who you are and about this book that you've written. Okay, I'm an author, a journalist, and a fledgling voice interface designer. Um, I am the writer of a book called Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Change the Way We Live, Work, and Think. And it is the definitive popular guide to everything that's happening in voice and what it means for the world. And that comes out today, is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. And it's it's a project that's been two and a half years in the making, uh, going, I don't even know how far I'd say it goes back. <laughs> it goes back to my childhood when I first played around with, with Eliza, uh, the early chatbot in a science museum. Uh, it certainly was reactivated in 2015 when I wrote a piece for the New York Times Magazine about Hello Barbie, which was a Wi-Fi connected voice enabled version of the popular doll uh, that you kids could talk to and talk back. Uh, so that was, you know, weirdly enough, even though it was a, just a kind of a silly doll, it was a fairly advanced application of conversational AI um, with a lot of content that she could talk about that seemed like a great way for me to start exploring this topic I'd long been interested in of teaching computers to have natural conversations. Great, and so two and a half years, I bet you must be incredibly relieved to finally see this come out. Yes, I like to tell people that the best kind of book is a done book. Um, <laughs> it's, it is no small amount of effort to, to put a book together. Uh, and the, you know, the good thing here was, uh, the worst thing for a writer is to feel like you don't have enough interesting things to say. And there's just so much going on in this field from the history to the state of the art and the tech to the social ramifications of what this is going to mean for the world or sort of the business battle that's happening between Apple and Amazon and Google. There's just, a, there's a ton to say. Uh, so the challenge is more like figuring out how to fit it all into one book. Yeah, I'm looking. We're looking forward to, to digging into all of those. But first, you actually built a skill for your book as well. Is that right? That is. Yeah. If you, it's it's currently on Alexa, and I'm. It will soon be on Assistant as well. But for Alexa, if you say "Open the Voice Computing Book," then you'll pull up this skill. And the idea was, you know, why getting to talk to an author of a book that you're interested in. Uh, you can think of it sort of like that feature on Amazon where you can click to peek inside the book. This is sort of a way to verbally peek, peek inside the book, but you hear my actual voice. You know, I can give you a synopsis or I can read you an excerpt. There's even a, a voice computing quiz game that has just sort of fun, fun facts about the book that, that the listener tries to guess. So just, you know, making an, an interactive way to get people into the book. And of course, in that this is a book all about conversational computing, it just seemed eminently appropriate that there should be a voice skill to promote it. And you mentioned you're a, a fledgling voice application developer, but it sounds like you're a full-fledged voice application developer if you have that out. Did you use any tools to, to build that? Yes, I did. So I used VoiceFlow which is you know, one of these interfaces that it's, it's really designed for people like me who don't have, who are not coders, 
but who nonetheless have some experience in conversation design and a sense for how the medium works. So if you haven't used it, it's you know one of these graphical interfaces where you can really see a visual map of you know just the flow of the conversation, where it, where it's going to, and where the branches are. Uh, you can obviously create custom intents and slots and all that kind of stuff. So it's really highly featured and yet fairly easy to use. Um, I, I had a good time building it on that platform. Kane, have you ever used VoiceFlow? I've, I've experimented with it a little bit. I think I've experimented with with most of them, to be fair. Um, VoiceFlow is, is pretty good. I think it used to be StoryFlow or something. Storyline, I think, was the name of the company. Yeah, Storyline is now turned to Invocable, and VoiceFlow, I think, was StoryFlow. I think it's Braden Ream who... Uh, one of the founders of that. It's pretty good. It's very similar to to what was Storyline, and very similar to uh, voice apps as well. I don't know if you've come across voice apps. That's a pretty good one. And Botmock. Yeah, I haven't tried that one yet. I had um, I done an earlier project, which we can talk about later if you want, uh, using Pullstring, which is um, I mean in some ways offers more precision and control, and you know very detailed conversational flows as well as detailed um, specification of linguistic rules. Uh, but that company, of course, has been acquired now by Apple. So came over to VoiceFlow and, like I say, really enjoyed the experience of building there. Was this project that you were talking about the DadBot? That's correct, yeah. And can you tell us a little more about what that project was? Sure, absolutely. So. This is a project that uh, started in 2016 and started for pretty sad reasons. Uh, my father, who I was very close with, uh, got a unexpected diagnosis of stage four lung cancer, so a terminal diagnosis. And in the family, we decided immediately we should do an oral history project with him and just get him to tell his life story and record it. And I did that. And it was just at the same time I was starting work on the book. Uh, it was right around the time that Pullstring came out as a platform that, that people could actually use in the public rather than just inside the company. And it just kind of all came together at once that like, hey, instead of just having this recorded oral history project that you have to you know, go on your computer and play these big audio files or you know, read printed out transcript, what if I could turn the oral history into a chatbot, basically, an avatar of my father. So I spent many months building that, and it was accessible over Facebook Messenger, and you could send the dad bot a message, and he would come back to you. Uh, sometimes he would play audio as well, so it, it did have a voice component to it. And, you know, it was, it was both to tell his story, and I wanted it to kind of have his way of speaking and his... Know, just a, a sense of his personality, which was just warm and humorous and, and very smart. So I was aiming to have all of that come across in the dad bot. Yeah, you wrote something that I found really interesting and, and something that uh, was a bit touching to me personally, where you said, how can a chatbot which exists at Gab express telling silence? Yeah, this was at a particular part in the process, you know, I was, I was making the dad bot as my real dad was dying. And, you know, so I thought about 
a lot about who he was. And, and one reason I thought he would actually be good or it would translate at least to a degree for a chatbot is that my dad is very, very articulate and very verbal. Like he's all, all about words, loves words. So I thought, oh, I can take something that has words, a chatbot, and there'll be a little essence of him. But that's obviously not even close to all that a person is. So sometimes it's when somebody doesn't say something to you that's meaningful. Or obviously if they, you know, reach out and touch you or a look. So there's, you know, there's a lot in communication and in a relationship that obviously isn't expressed in words and those types of things, I couldn't get into the dad bod. Mm. How'd your dad feel about the project? He was, I would call him indifferent. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, certainly approved of it. I asked his permission before I did it, but uh, he, he was just focused on his own mortality and the fact that his, mm. his death was essentially right around the corner. So, you know, it, Nothing really. I mean, I think if you'd handed him a lottery check for $6 million, he probably would have said like, oh, okay, that's nice. Uh, you know, he had sort of bigger things on his mind. Um, but that said, he sort of intellectually appreciated what it was and liked the fact that it would help to keep some of his knowledge alive. Is that where you see things going I know I don't know if you've come across Brian Romilly before or not but he yeah, talks yeah I know Brian yeah so he talks a lot about this kind of thing doesn't he where he's talking about kind of like um, almost like uploading the kind of personal personalities and family members or whatever whatever into a kind of an assistant so that they'll then kind of live forever and in the book you talk about there's a chapter on kind of immortals and you kind of talk about this project in there is that kind of where you see some element of voice assistance heading is that we'll essentially be able to just kind of upload ourselves into a voice assistant of some description and then be available immort immortally forever. I think long term that's the trend line. Uh, but I think I'm somewhat more like practical in the present person or at least a person who's kind of like, like what's happening in the next, you know, one to three years. And the tech now, as both of you I'm sure know, there isn't some process of just you know, magically creating this fully robust conversational avatar of a person simply by vacuuming up their text messages and Facebook posts and other things they've written. Um, it doesn't, tech doesn't really work that way. Uh, so there's, we're kind of in this weird phase where there's, you know, there's a lot of manual scripting and authoring and rules writing involved to create chatbots that work at all. Um, so I'm not sure how we'll get there. Um, I think there is a lot of potential for, you know, if you're not necessarily trying to have a long multi-turn conversation with uh, a voice bot, you know, one that's, you know, having uh, context maintained over many turns, but rather it's sort of an information retrieval system. Uh, you know, you're saying like, you know, tell me a story about when you were in grade school and you can pull up something from a bot, like computer science is, is quite good at this point at uh, information retrieval. So I think there's a lot that can be done, even with present technology as it is now, to make really robust um, uh, memorializing bots, basically. Is that bot still around? 
There, I have sort of a local access version, uh, but now that the now that Polestring has been acquired by Apple, you know they're they're not there anymore. Uh, and you know he the dadbot lived on the servers. That's how if you're you know going through Facebook Messenger to get to the dadbot, that's how you would do it. So unfortunately, you know mostly no is the mm. the answer, and and that really gets to. You know, I've been asked quite a bit by people like, is this, is this a business? Uh, can we really have virtual immortality? And one big stumbling block is how to actually, how to make it immortal. If any company that's doing this is, you know, for whether it's a startup or it's Google, how do you know that company is going to be around five, 10, 20 years in the future? Mm -hmm. And if they go away, what happens to the bot? Yeah, that is a challenge. Even if you're having something, you know, locally, that still has to be maintained. Either the device has to be maintained or uh, it has to maintain uh, consistency with any new operating systems as well. So that is, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's a big, and it's funny because, you know, you can compare something like the DadBot to an earlier technology that preserves someone like, you know, photos in an album and say like, oh, this is it's obviously much more advanced, it's much more interactive, but uh, you know, I've got decades old photos in boxes at home. I'm not sure that we'll be have access to software that's 50 years old um, in, in the future. A big takeaway I, I got from your book was that this artificial intelligence speech has always seemed to have been inevitable. But there were many times when it felt that way in the short term and just didn't arrive thinking about things like automata from the 19th century, voice toys, even early conversational games. Is this time any different? Well, we're certainly a lot further along than we were when you referred to those 19th century inventions and you know, they had bellows for lungs and they had little bagpipe reeds for vocal cords and, and rubber lips. So that was in just in a very primitive fashion, synthesizing the sounds of speech. Uh, but you're also right that there's been a historical tendency to underestimate how difficult it is to make a computer talk. And the problem, I think one of the problems is that you can put out these simulations that to an outside viewer seem more advanced than they actually are. Um, you know, there's just, there are a lot of, there are a lot of cheats. Uh, and you can, you can cheat in demos by having someone interact with a voice system who already knows exactly what the system can say. So they speak to it completely correctly. They kind of serve it up pitches it can hit and the system looks great. But then that gives the public the idea that like, oh, this is right around the corner. And movies, of course, and television are a big pro problem as well. Uh, they just, we, we've been watching these things for literally for decades um, where robots talk just like people do. So the, the expectation is so high uh, in the public. And we also have really high standards. When a computer starts to act like a person, we, you know, nail it. We we uh, criticize it when it doesn't live up to being fully human intelligent, and we're we're really still very far from that. So 
I'm sort of circling around your question here, but at very least you could say that the computer scientists today, they have a good appreciation of the complexities. Uh, they're not underestimating it. Uh, they've been able to divide the problem into lots of component parts, whether it's natural language understanding or speech synthesis, like each kind of step in the, in the chain to making it happen. And we're seeing a lot of progress in a lot of these areas. So I think, I think it is different. And at the, yeah, at the same time, I don't think anybody should be holding their breath that we're going to have perfect voice AI in two years. On that note, uh, you mentioned that when you know a bot seems really human, if it's not behaving exactly like we expected to, we ding it. Are there approaches that the the big players or even you know people like Kane and myself can build into our voice experiences to to sort of combat against that? Well, you know, it's all about fallback recovery, obviously, like what, what happens when somebody says something to the system that's out of bounds and just being able to, you know, to quickly point out like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't go there. Like this, this system isn't capable of that. Um, for me, both with, uh, well, with the dad bot, especially I, you know, the very first time you chat with the dad bot, he, he makes a joke about how he's only somewhat smarter than a toaster. So just kind of immediately not trying to be more than you actually are. And I, I think I see this sometimes with, you know, Siri's responses or the assistant's responses where you just kind of quickly draw the line like, ah, that's, that's not a place where I can play. And I think people get it pretty quickly um, if you draw those lines. How how important is the like the concept of like personification? You speak a little bit in the book around the history of you know like giving Alexa a personality and giving Siri a personality and you know Cortana and Alexa you know Google Assistant. They all have this personality, um, which is obviously it's fine for the big platforms, but for the people building on the big platforms or just for voice in general, how important is it that these things have a personality? I'm in the camp that thinks it's important just because if you're not going to have a personality, like if you're just going to be efficient, 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 then, you know, maybe you should be using a visual based interface uh, or a text based one. Like if, if you're going to voice, one of the things you can do is have warmth and empathy and humor. And you can just, you can do a lot in that medium that you can't do in the other ones. So, you know, why not, why not leverage that is my feeling. And, but it, it is conversely, it's sort of dangerous to play with because having those, I, I noticed this with the dad bot too, when, you know, sometimes he says something that's, that's very clever or very funny. You know, I've just lifted my father's words and used them in the dad bot. And then again, that gets to that false, setting false expectations. Like, oh, if he could say that, this, this computer must be really smart. And then the very next conversational turn, you trip up and fail. Um, but, you know, on balance, I say go for it, but just be a little bit careful. 
Something interesting that you talk about in the book, uh, and you know we're certainly not there yet, but perhaps we'll be there in, in a decade or so, is that these bots might actually supplant human connection a little bit. Yeah, that's a, you know, controversial, worrying thought. And, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of research into this yet. Um, there's one interesting study I saw that demonstrated that, you know, after people had interacted with a virtual assistant, that they were less likely to seek out other forms of social contact with, with people right afterward. Um, but it was, it was a small study and I just haven't seen much research on that. So we're just, we're guessing. Hmm. Um, but you know, could happen. Um, it, it just could happen if you can get what you need. I mean, in the same way you could argue sometimes when if people didn't have TV in their homes, they maybe they would go out to mm. art more often or they go do things like it. Sometimes you just, you want a voice, you want some sense of companionship and you know, you'll take what you can get. So it, it actually does seem to me like a, a genuine danger or at least something worth being very aware of that as bots, voice bots with personas become better, like, are we going to sort of hold up with them at the, at the expense of other types of contact? Uh, and I think one of the interesting implication, perhaps, as you mentioned in the book, is that you've got these, you know, five or, or so companies and that are really competing to be the voice platform, uh, almost the, the AOL of voice, uh, if you think of it that way. Where do you think those stand today? Who's who's best position for the mid and long term? Well, let's see. So Apple with Siri, uh, people within the voice world, I don't think I'm surprising anyone when I say that like Siri kind of catches the most flack uh, from people. And some of that comes from genuine problems with the product. But a lot of it, I think, comes from Siri having been first. So when the technology was less mature, Siri was the first thing that people tried and they didn't have a great experience. So there's, you know, there's the perception in many ways that Siri is behind. I don't think it's totally accurate, but there's the perception there. Uh, there's also, you know, the fact that um, Siri or Apple obviously doesn't have a great footprint in the home space yet the way that, um, that Amazon and Google do. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there are a lot more iPhones out there than there are um, Alexa or, yeah, the Echoes, for instance. So, you know, I, I, I would, would not rule out Apple by any means yet. Uh, that said, it does feel like Amazon and Google are out front. Um, and, you know, in the book, what I write about a lot is not so much like who has the better technology per se, but you know, who's got more immediate ways to make money from voice because that obviously helped determine who the winner is in this. And I write that, that Google has some challenges because they are, you know, they're an advertising company and that's how they've made all of their loot and advertising 
doesn't work well in the voice medium. Um, it doesn't even really exist yet. And people are waiting to figure out how that's going to happen. So I just got to imagine that there's just, there's angst over this issue. And I noticed in my interviews when I was talking to people at Google, when you bring up like, well, how does voice affect search? How does voice affect advertising? That's often when the, you know, I get the reply from the spokesperson, like, we're not going to talk about that. Or <laughs> we've, said, we've said all that we're going to say on that subject, which is nothing. So, uh, you know, that kind of signals to me that they're, they're wary. Um, Amazon's in better shape because they haven't existed to advertise. They've existed to sell us stuff. And just this becomes our new portal. And the place where you search for information is all the, also the portal to which you buy things. Um, they're just kind of sitting in a sweet spot. So this is hardly a controversial or surprising opinion, but it feels to me like Amazon's got at least a narrow lead uh, in voice overall. Is that the primary measure of success then, in your opinion, is the, the assistant's ability to generate revenue for the company? Is that kind of the... So, for example, um, if the assistant is adding value and being helpful and people are engaging with it a lot is that is that enough for for someone like for a company like amazon who might get you know sales elsewhere from the fact that the, this person now trusts amazon more because of the echo or alexa helps them out every day is is that i suppose what i'm getting at is is the primary measure of the voice assistant the ability for it to generate revenue or the ability for it to provide some kind of value or assistance to people? Well, generating revenue for the parent company certainly isn't the metric of users. Like for them, it's all about what, what works best and what do they enjoy interacting with. So I guess when I bring that up, I'm just thinking long-term, like where does this go? But, I, you know, I think you're getting at something very true, which is, you know, right now the, the companies just want you to love their assistant the best. And I really don't think they've totally figured out how they're going to monetize the voice space, but are just feeling confident. They're like, you know, we are going to figure this out. If we're the dominant voice platform, the spoils will come to us. We will be rewarded. So, you know, they're, they're not rushing in on advertising. They're not rushing in on sponsored results because the last thing they want to do is alienate users at a time when they're still just trying to befriend the user and, and be useful. You mentioned a couple of big players as well, Facebook and Microsoft. They're sort of on the edges today. Do you see even just a couple of years down the line that they're going to still be investing in this space? Microsoft has put a lot of resources into Cortana. They've certainly, they talked to the press a lot about Cortana. I think they're proud of Cortana. Uh, they've obviously had to pivot and been pivoting to Cortana being more, you know, just a, a voice interface to Microsoft's business products and services rather than this, you know, all purpose virtual assistant. Um, you know, there, I think there was a time when maybe they were imagining like this is, it, 
it's a new game now, um, and voice hasn't yet been settled. So let's you know, let's go in hard and see what we can do. Um, but now it does seem like they're saying like, okay, we're we're not trying to win overall, but we're trying to win on this being a good workplace utility. Um, that that's that's certainly my impression of what's going on. And Facebook, uh, I have to say that in you know, of all of the, the big tech companies, when I was reporting the book, I had the hardest time putting my finger on just what it is that they are trying to do because, you know, they had that M assistant experience, uh, experiment, um, but then that was shuttered and they took their learnings from that. Uh, they've now come out with a device with a screen, but it uses Alexa. Like they haven't seemed to like come rushing in to the voice space, but they're clearly they're interested in it. They have some very top researchers in the field working on it. So I've always gotten the sense that they're just kind of, you know, biding their time, developing some stuff inside, and then seeing when the time is right to make a play. Does it need to be a, a play in that respect? Like, so from Facebook's perspective, so Alexa have, uh, Amazon have Alexa, which is like a platform that you can build on top of. You can build skills on there and stuff like that. Google Assistant is kind of fairly similar. Cortana, similar still. You know, they're, they're kind of like platforms that, that are being put out there that you can then build on top of. Do, how are you, are you looking at Facebook from a perspective of they, they are potentially trying to rival that platform that voice assistant platform or or is it a case of them just building a voice front end to facebook services similar to how you kind of explained of microsoft building a front end to the microsoft kind of platform does that make sense it does yeah it 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 might be that that it's just a way in and just a thought like however However, the world wants to access computing. We certainly we want to be there. Like we want to meet them there. So obviously, you know, like a company from 20 years ago, they're like, oh, we we need a website um, because people are going to be looking for us on the web. You could obviously say the same is true with voice. Like people are coming through the voice channel. We got to know how to work there. So I think you're you're right about that. Um, then there's, and this idea is a little bit old now, but, you know, back in 2016, uh, Facebook seemed big into the idea that they were going to be, you know, the week out of the West and everybody was going to live inside of a messaging platform rather than going out to an internet browser. And as such, you know, companies would very much want to have bots, conversational bots that could work in there too so people could interface with them and you don't think that idea is dead they've certainly backed off of that um a ways but that's another area and then the final one and this is just pure speculation on my part i have no backing from anyone on at facebook on this but i've always wondered if they are thinking about helping users to ultimately have avatars of themselves um for when they're not online like you know i've got the virtual james law host that's making conversation with me uh with people out there uh even when i'm not you know hooked in myself duplex for facebook yeah 
Yeah, in a, yeah, in a, in a social setting, <laughs> and, and in, that it's you know modeling my persona or my persona at least as I want to present it to the world. How are things different in the voice ecosystem today compared to when you started this? Well, I mean, one big change is that people are not talking about bots and text-based experiences nearly as much as they were, you know, two years ago, where people were kind of talking about both sides of the coin, you know, voice things and text-based things. Um, everybody now seems to be voice, voice, voice. Um, so that's, that's the main thing. Um, the, you know, Alexa, I'm sorry, Amazon and Google have just become ever more forward about their ambitions. Like this is big. We're going big into it. We want to dominate this. Um, you know, we're planting our stake in the ground. They've just become more emphatic about that. And even things like, you know, seeing, you know, Google Assistant commercials uh, or Amazon commercials during the Super Bowl, like they're they're going fully mainstream with it. So maybe that's the difference there. Um, the tech itself, you know, frankly, it seems like there's there's more of it. Uh, there's there's more skills. There's more actions. I don't know that I've seen you know, a massive improvement in the quality of what's out there. And I was just looking at an interesting article this morning talking about how there, you, you still can't point to like, you know, the, just the breakout hit of the voice space. Um, you know, not that there haven't been great things that people have built, but nothing that has just absolutely caught the public by storm. Um, you know, the way that, you know, on a, you know, this is the new iPhone scale of things. One of the things that I think is really interesting in your book and, and really speaks well for it is you use some very interesting mental models to present more technical topics. And this is something that you know has been weaving through our conversation here as well. Do you think that the layperson can understand what's happening conceptually underneath everything? Or do you think this is just something that is going to be far too complex and people go, eh, it's just magic? I don't know. I mean, I certainly had this ambition with the book and the, the middle third of the book in particular that to demystify um, this process of you say something to a virtual assistant and then a response comes back. And people really have, I, lay public has no idea how this works. Um, they, have, they have no idea how you know, intricate and complicated and multifaceted the process is. So, you know, I got really, really, I'm, I'm not a technical person, but I'm a veteran science and technology journalist. So I'm sort of used to getting inside of complicated topics trying to really understand them, reading a ton of papers, talking to a ton of experts, and then kind of coming back to the other side and trying to explain things in a way that just, you know, people that I'm going out to dinner with or whatever, hanging out with that I can explain to them. And I don't know. I think, yeah, I think you have to be interested. Like if you have no interest in this topic, I'm probably not going to, you know, take you from zero to 60 on it. 
But if you have some interest and some attention, like I really, I just try and break it down into parts such that it's understandable and, and fun too. Like it's, it's kind of neat to see, you know, both sort of what makes it hard and what makes it work when it does. How do you keep up with everything that's going on in voice? This is something that Kane and I chat about a lot is, you know, it seems like something new is coming out all the time. Uh, some of it may be noise, but a lot of it's quite interesting too. How do you stay on top of all of it? I, I've been trying to solve that problem for <laughs> two and a half years and I don't know that I totally have. Um, and it, you know, it, it feels like new, this is a sign of the interest in this technology, but sort of new, Sources and new things are popping up all the time. Uh, and what I found, you know, I have everything that you would expect. You know, I have Google News Alerts set up on all of the companies and subjects I'm tracking. I follow a lot of people on Twitter who are big in this space. And you know, kind of what I've found is even if you're not 100% perfect in checking your Twitter, if you're not 100% perfect in reading your articles, uh, it, it'll come across uh, because the, the big stuff everybody starts talking about all at once. So it, it's hard to totally miss um, what's happening. Any big development. Kane, do you have any other questions? Uh, there was one thing in the book which I found quite interesting. Well, there was plenty of things in there that I found interesting, but, but one thing I hope we so. yeah, but one thing we haven't uh, talked about, which which um, it's pertinent because I saw something the other day. Uh, in fact, it was I can play you it now actually if I can get this working. Um, it's the concept of giving a voice assistant agenda, and how you know you kind of regardless of what you try and do it ends up having a agenda and all the big companies have got you know largely female voices cortana siri although you can turn siri onto a male voice and i think you can turn google assistant onto a male voice but the standard one is a female alexa is a, is the female voice and then you know we've spoke a little bit about personas and personalities and the the voice gives part of the assistant part of its personality so to speak and and you know with things like um you know equality in general uh being a big consideration for for everybody these days um you were kind of talking about the decision making in terms of how to give a, a, an assistant a, a kind of agenda, and I just wanted to show you this. I don't know if you've come across this um, thing called Meet Q, genderlessvoice dot com. Yeah, I was just reading about this this week. Yeah, so I've got a little clip, and for those listening at home, he's just a little. Here's a little clip of what what is intended to be a genderless voice. Uh, for a voice assistant. So I'm going to play a little clip and then it'll be interesting to get your, your thoughts on it, James, and see what you think based on the stuff that, that you've written about it in the book. So here's a little clip. Hi, I'm Q, the world's first genderless voice assistant. Think of me like Siri or Alexa, but neither male nor female. I'm created for a future where we are no longer defined by gender, but rather how we define ourselves. My voice was recorded by people who neither identify as male nor female, and then altered to sound gender neutral, putting my voice between 145 and 175 hertz, a range defined by audio researchers. 
but for me to become a third option for voice assistance, I need your help. Share my voice with Apple, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And together we can ensure that technology recognizes us all. So that's Q. What are your thoughts on that, James? Interesting. Well, that voice read female to me, uh, but that's just one person's subjective opinion. I know they did a lot of research into that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating discussion because, you know, it's generally seen as being a little sexist, obviously, that the default voice should be female because women have been relegated to assistant jobs um, for much of the past century. So to just replicate that model in the digital assistant world is, is sexist. And, you know, it's funny. There's, I knew all about this topic. I wanted to research it for the book. And just at conferences and talking to people in the field, you frequently, people will say, well, you know, users tend to prefer female voices. And, and they just assert this like it's a known truth. So I went looking for the research that actually supports that finding, and I couldn't find it. Um, I couldn't find it in the academic papers at all. I found sort of really not many studies at all, and the ones I did find were fairly ambiguous. So I'm not saying that these people have been lying to me. I just suspect that the research that's being referred to is internal research done by Microsoft or Amazon or Apple or whoever it is um, on, on what users tend to prefer. But uh, I, I like that companies like the one you cited uh, are sort of pushing back on that. And yeah, it just, it's not something that should be blindly done, uh, assuming that a female voice is, is the right one to have. What do you think of that, Dustin, that voice? Uh, it's interesting that James, you said it sounded very like a female voice because I saw on Twitter earlier today, uh, someone goes, that's obviously a guy. <laughs> so it seems like the, the duck rabbit of, of sorts where, or not to bring the, I'm going to bring it back up, but the blue black dress of, uh, however, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned the research and you couldn't find the research. It seems so much that startups and tech, they, uh, it's just a bunch of people following a bunch of other people. I read recently that, that 50% of searches will be by voice in 2020 is, uh, actually a completely taken out of quote context. So it's this kind of thing where we hear something that sounds interesting and we go, okay, uh, I'll do it that way. Yeah. <laughs> if you hear something interesting, you repeat it. Uh, before you check it, unfortunately, you put it on a uh, a conference slide and in big uh, in big letters, and that's when all the cameras come out too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, James, we will share the link to the book in the show notes. But where can people find you? Where can people find you online? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at James Blahos. That's V L A H O S. The book. Talk to Me is on Amazon and other online sellers, as well as physical bookstores. And if you want a preview of the book, uh, you can say to Alexa, open the voice computing book. 
and that will trigger the skill. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Thanks so much for Steve. You're welcome. I really enjoyed the conversation. Fantastic. Cheers, James. Appreciate that. Cool. That was James Vlahos. Thank you, James, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you, Dustin, for taking the reins on that one. That was that was he's such an interesting guy, James, honestly. And the book is phenomenal we were speaking just after the podcast there about who who is the book for um and the way james described it it was for anyone who is interested in tech and it's not necessarily something that he's positioning specifically for those in the voice industry but i read it and it is enlightening there's the whole history behind alexa the history behind how siri was created and formed you know what happened to siri after apple acquired it and why maybe perhaps it's not reaching the heights that 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 we uh, would want it to um there's stories in there around that you know the history around machine learning and natural language understanding and where it all come from and you know the examples of the very first computer generated speech and you know, then it gets into, you know, where's it all going? You know, is the voice assistant going to be the kind of oracle? You know, are we all going to kind of live forever on there? A bit of future casting and stuff like that. It is such an interesting book. So definitely, definitely, I'd check it out. It is, it's it's unbelievable. The links will be in the show notes. Do check it out. Thank you so much, James, for joining us. Amazing chat. Thank you, Dustin, again. And as always, boys and girls, thank you all for listening. Until next time. See you later.